Only the blood of Christ, the Christ, the Son of God, could wash away our sins completely, totally, as if they had never been sinned, as if they had never uh, happened in the first place. Then we could be righteous, completely righteous in the sight of God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kingdom Rock Radio. You are moments away from receiving God's rich word. But first, remember that you can subscribe to our Roku channel as well as our podcast. And don't forget, for more information, you can always contact us at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's word. All right. Well, as you know, we've been in a series for the past five weeks. This is uh, week number six, part six. And we're speaking uh, in the series, The Long Way Home. The Long Way Home. And we're not there yet. We're in part six. We'll probably be going to part number 10 or maybe even to part 35. I don't know. Kind of doubt it. But we'll be here until we're done. This is part number six. We've been talking uh, about really about salvation about healing, about deliverance, about a lot of things. So if you have not heard parts one, two, three, four, or five, go to the website and you can uh, watch them and view them and, and all that stuff and download it and really have a good time. All right, today is part number six. So we're going to go back to our theme verse for the week, theme verse uh, for the series, which is John 3.16. John 3.16, and of course it is one of the most familiar uh, scriptures in the entire Bible. And it reads like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have but have everlasting life, right? And we said that um, a part of that verse, the whole series really is tied around this one verse. And we've been endeavoring to understand what the Lord means as he says this. Remember that this is an answer to a question. If you only hear half of the conversation, you're missing it. So we had to, we had to get some context, right? What happens before this and after this will help us to define what's going on here. And because of this verse, we have uh, what we call the eternal question. Or what is that question? Will you choose to, will you choose what? Life or death? That's what God puts before all mankind. Uh, will you choose life or death? All right, so let's go back up to John, the third chapter again, verses one through six. We're going to read it and we're going to start again on verse number seven. So we've already gone through and explained a lot of this, of course, all of this in uh, parts one through five. So make sure you go back and hear that. All right. Verse one says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know. Now that's, that's an important two words. We know. We know. Okay. So keep that in your head. As a matter of fact, say with me, we know. All right. It says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then we have a time with that verse. Ooh, yummy. That was a good yummy verse, Sam. It was really yummy. Verse 7, where we're going to start off now today. It says, marvel not, the Lord Jesus says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And that is our title for today, you must be born again. I cannot tell you how important that phrase is. You must be born again. So we're going to find out what that means and also why it is important to be born again. So make sure that you are listening with both ears and watching with both eyes. Although that would look mighty strange if you're not watching with both eyes. Let's move on. All right, let's move on. All right, so let's look at the word must. The word must there where the Lord says you must be born again. Now we have defined this out of the Greek because remember the New Testament uh, translated there from the Greek. So let's look at the word must. And the Greek word for the word must in the Greek is pronounced die. It's pronounced die, which is, I'm telling you, it's amazing, Anthony, because in order to be born again, there must be a death first. Isn't that interesting? There must be in death first. So the Lord somehow went, uh, put that in there uh, anyway, where the word must in the Greek is translated die, it's, it's, it's pronounced die. But the word must in the Greek means about four particular things, four things, and I want to bring them all to you, and it's going to help bring out the flavor of this verse. The first definition of the word must is it is necessary. Uh, there is a need of, it behooves, is right, or is right and proper. So the first definition there really is there's a need for it. it. There's a need for it. So the Lord says, you must be born again. In other words, you need to be born again. Amen. You need to be born again. Amen? Amen? Second definition is necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. All right, necessity as is required to attain some end. That is, if you want to be paid on Friday, you got to work this week. Right? Necessity. All right? So uh, the must there in the phrase, you must be born again, talks about necessity. You have to do this in order to get that. And we know that getting that is eternal life, right? Uh, not perishing, but have eternal life. So Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is necessary in order for you to obtain eternal life, eternal salvation, be well with God. It is a necessity. Now, the third and fourth definition, definition, mm, 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 definition is what we want to look at today. Yes, pray for him. Thank you, Lord. The third and fourth definition, check it, take a look at this. It says, uh, a necessity of law, a command, necessity of law and command of duty. Duty. That's always a funny word, duty. All right, we're going to move on from there. Necessity of law, a command, or necessity of law and command. So we can glean from that that when the Lord says it is, he says, you must be born again, he's saying, really, it is a law. It is a command. It is law. It is command. You must be born again. Now, we're going to get back to that, especially when you look at the fourth definition in the Greek of the word must. Look at that one. The fourth definition is necessity established by the counsel and decree of God. 
especially by that uh, purpose of his, which relates to the salvation of men by the, um, uh, by the intervention of Christ and which is disclosed in the Old Testament prophecies. So uh, look at the very first part of that. It says that this necessity was established by the counsel and decree of God. God decreed it. Just like a king standing on his throne decreeing a law, he's making it mandatory. He's making it a necessity. Now, God is the great king. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, he has made us and we have not made ourselves. Amen? Amen. If you are a self-maker, you made yourself, you brought yourself into existence, maybe we need to think about worshiping you. Not but we understand that that did not happen, right? God made us and we did not make ourselves. This is his world. One song says, and we're just squirrels trying to get a nut. No, this is his place, right? He made us and not we ourselves. Amen. Amen. So we go by his rules. But what I'm finding out that every time the Lord commands us to do something, it is for our good. It is for our good. He designed us. He designed us. And as we go by the manufacturer specs, we work better. Right? We work better. We work better. If you bought a car and that car came with tires that, uh, what, I don't know, what, 22 inches? What's a good size for a tire? Whatever. If, if your car, let's say it's a 22, that's a small tire. Whatever it is, if it's an R, whatever, and it has, it's supposed to be this size, but you say, no, I want it to run like a race vehicle or something, and you make it put a tire like this on it, you know, really big, and you don't make any other changes, that car is not going to run or it's not going to run properly. It's not what's required. The manufacturer did not specify that this is the correct way. Amen. You got it? So if we go by manufacturer specs, we're always going to operate properly. Now, if you buy something and you begin to break the seal of it, and you know, and then you take it back into the manufacturer and say, hey, when you fix this, they say you they see that you broke the seal on it, you know, they're they're not going to honor their warranty. Some people know that from experience. (laughs) Not saying who those people are. But it's a true. Okay, moving on here. So there's a reason why the Lord says we must be born again, that he decrees that that we must be born again, that he commands you must be born again. There's a reason. What's the reason? Let's look at Acts 17. Here's one great big hulking reason here. And I want you to see this. Acts 17. Here is where Paul is having a conversation with a few people in uh, in Athens. And when Paul is there, he sees all these statues of Athens. Aphrodite, Paul and Apollos and all these other, all these other false gods. And, and he really gets upset about the whole thing. And then he begins the conversation with them all, with the, um, with the nerdy people. And they're all sitting, the philosophers and all that. And, and they just love sitting around all day debating. So Paul walks in the midst of them and he begins this conversation. And so here we are. And uh, in verse number 29, and uh, so we're getting in the middle of this conversation. We could read the whole chapter, but I know you got to go home and eat some bonbons or something. So we're not going to read the whole chapter. So I'm just going to give you the, the, the meat of it. Is that okay? Amen. All right. All right. Here we go. So uh, verse 29 says, uh, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol. 
All right, remember he saw all these things. We shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Verse 30, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he what? Now he what? Now he what? Now he commands everyone everywhere to what? To repent of their sins and turn to him. So here's another command, right? This is good. This is good. We know that sinful things are really detrimental to us. We know that they're bad. God simply says, turn from the bad and turn to me who is good. Turn from evil and and turn to good. Turn from hate and turn to love. Turn from warring and turn to peace. You know, turn. Hey, let's all do that. That's pretty good. And let's come back. And we're back here. So praise the Lord. He says, turn from this and turn to him. Right? All right. So his commands are always for our good. If you find yourself feeling that you are rebellious toward the things of God, and and when someone says, you got to do this and you got to do that, and we feel like people are making us do something, naturally rebellion comes up. You don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. You know, anybody felt something like that before? You don't tell me what to do. Anybody? I, I saw one person, one, two people three or four hands, you know, that's, that's human nature. That's human nature. We don't like to be told what to do. Come on, y'all. We don't like to be told what to do. So when you even see in the Bible, God telling people, commanding them what to do, we initially on the inside saying, no, no, I don't, how is it? God, how are you telling me to do anything? You know, again, this is his world. We're trying to get the nut. Okay, it didn't work out too well, but you got what I'm saying, right? This is his. He made us and we did not make ourselves. But I find again, when we follow manufacturer specs and we follow, um, follow the instruction book, follow the manual, things work out better for us. Amen? They work out better for us. So when we follow his plan, our lives work better. And you, as a matter of fact, let me say this, uh, scientists have already discovered, and this is wonderful in some of my readings, scientists have already discovered, I'm getting just a little bit of feedback, turn me down just a little bit in the back there, please. Uh, scientists have already discovered that we are hardwired for love. Human beings are hardwired for love. We work better when we are loved and when we love right? We work better in love. Uh, we talk about um, the, the fruits of the spirit. Love is actually, uh, love is actually joy. It is, it is joyful. It is peaceful. It is patient. It is kind. It is good. It is, um, uh, it is long suffering. We said that patient. Yeah, we said that it is temperate, right? It is, it has faith. It is self-controlling. All of these are characteristics of love. Are you hearing? Amen. All right. So we work better when we are in an atmosphere of love. When we are around a lot of folk that are keeping up a lot of mess, we don't do too well. When they're warring and they're hating each other and they're, 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 they're yelling and saying curse words back and forth, we begin to shrink up and shrink up. We, we don't like that too much, right? When there's all this hostility or when someone, when we're in an atmosphere with, when it's um, depressive, people are depressed all the time. And when we are depressed all the time, your physical body doesn't work well. 
And this has already been discovered. As a matter of fact, um, I believe the National Cancer Institute, I believe it is called, um, cites that up to 75 to 80 percent of all cancer patients uh, that they have treated, that they treated, uh, all related to a stress uh, type of illness beforehand. They were they lived in high stressful, high stressful areas, high stress. And all of that stress, all that negativity, it leaches into our system. You know, we can't sleep at night. We can't eat. We can't because of all this stuff. We don't, we're, we don't work well that way. We work best when we love and when, when we are loved. We work best when we're in atmosphere of peace, when we're joyful. Our whole body system works best. Works best. Amen? So when the Lord says, turn from and turn to, it is for our good. Yes. Amen? Amen? All right. So, but here again, so Paul's there and uh, he's telling them, yeah, God commands everybody in the, everywhere to repent and turn from their sins and turn to him. Look at verse 31. And uh, verse 31 says, now this is the reason why we have to be born again. The reason why we have to repent. Hear this. Uh, simply saying here, because God's got a calendar. Verse 31 says, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. He says that we have to repent because there, there will be a day. There is a day on God's calendar, a day for judging all mankind. He said, I need you to repent. He's commanding us to repent, to turn from it, because there will be a day of judgment. Now, I gave you this example before, and I feel like I need to give it to you again. You know, I have a nice cat. My cat Sunday. I'm I've told you about my cat before, right? All right. All right. Uh, one year, there was a, we had a horrible flea problem. I mean, some fleas were trying to get up in the house. I said, oh, oh, no, this is not going to work. Right. Because fleas bite. They, you know, they bite, you know. But anyway, so I had to I took her outside to treat all the inside, treat the inside. No problem. Uh, I treated her. No problem. Uh, but I was going to put some heavy duty stuff in the yard. Right. So I brought her in the house so I could treat the yard. You know, you put the chemical there on the water hose and you spray the yard to kill all those and all of that stuff. All right. So while she was in the house, I told her, uh, honey, I'm sorry, cat, you stay in the house. Sometimes she listens and sometimes she doesn't. Anyway, you stay in the house now because daddy, I'm sorry, because I am about to bring rain judgment outside. This is judgment day for all the fleas, ticks and whatever that's outside that's been attacking you. So you have to stay inside because judgment is going to fall. Amen. Right. It's to her advantage to stay in. Because all of that doesn't need to get on her and all that stuff. You understand? Amen. All right. So, but while judgment was falling, you know what she was doing? Trying to get outside, scratching on the door, trying to, no, let me explain this to you again. Stay out of sin because judgment is falling. This is the day. Amen. Eventually, she understood as they gave her a treat. <laughs> 
And then she was content. But the Lord said, hey, human beings, human race, there's going to be a day when I spray this whole world. But it's going to be with fire. It's going to be a day and you would want to be in the house when I'm doing this. You would want to be over here when I'm doing this. So he says, repent, because there is a day when I'm going to handle this stuff. You've seen all the rapes and the robs and and, uh, human trafficking and all the horrible things that people are doing. And you say, oh, how can they get away with it? They won't. There will be a day that God will attach something to the water holes of divine justice. And And you want to be in the house when that happens. So he tells you, you must be born again. You must be born again because God's got to deal with all this evil that's down here. He's got to deal with all of this hatred and you, you uh, don't need, no need to, you got what I'm saying, right? He's got to deal with that and he will deal with that. People don't get away with anything. He will deal with that. You have to make sure that you're on the right side. So he says, Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again. So let's go back now. Let's look again one more time at John 3, 7. Uh, Bring it back, back to your remembrance. He says again, marvel not that I say unto you, say unto thee, you must be born again. Because again, there will be a day. Let's look at verse number eight now. Let's look at verse eight, John 3, 8. And it says, as the Lord talks about the born, born again experience in John 3, 8. It says, the wind bloweth uh, where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it comes and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So as we talk about being born again, you wonder how does that thing look? The Lord gives us an example of wind. He says, you don't know, let's say you're outside somewhere and you feel it. Well, where is it coming from and where is it going to? When did it start? You don't know any of that. He says, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. Now, wind. So the Lord is talking about the Holy Spirit here, capital S. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is like that wind. Uh, He moves suddenly. He moves suddenly. The wind is also um, it's also invisible. We can't see it, but we can see its effects on things around us. When it comes time for us to rake up leaves and all of that stuff in fall, like some of y'all like the fall, and you must like falling leaves. I guess you don't feel like you have to rake them up, but that's another story altogether. You see the wind blow. You don't see the wind, but you see the leaves moving on the ground, right? So is the Holy Spirit in the life of a born-again believer. We may not see him on you, but we should be able to see him moving in and through your life. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse number nine here. Uh, We're getting to the big question here, the big question. Now, we won't be able to answer this big question today. We will on next week, the Lord willing, but I, I need to show you something that relates to it first as we continue to walk down. This is a big question. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? How can these things be? Remember, we we're talking about being born again, being born of God, being twice born. Nicodemus said, how can a man that is old, you know, can uh, enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? No, Nicodemus, man, you all off. I'm not tell- uh, that's nasty, man. I'm not telling you that. He's talking about being born of the spirit. Amen. 
I know we in raw, raw form today. I told you online community, you got to pray. Are you hearing me? All right. So he said, no, man, I'm talking about spiritually, spiritually. When you come before God and you believe in Christ Jesus and you are born again, your physical body is untouched. If you said, Lord, I receive you in my life and you had one tooth and you said, amen, you open your mouth, still got one tooth. Amen. Right. He's not talking. No, one day we're going to get a new body. Amen. Hallelujah. We will get a new body. Maybe we'll talk about that. He's not talking about the soul either. Remember, man is made of three parts, body, soul, spirit, right? He's not talking about the soul. The soul is unchanged because after you said amen, you still remember all the dirty jokes. Well, I heard a lot of amens there, online community. <laughs> you still remember where to go, right? Your mind has been unchanged, at least at that moment. That's why the Bible says that we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, amen? We have to receive the, the engrafted word which is able to save our souls, receive the word of God. And so the word is going to fix our soul up and change us, right? But what has changed? What has been reborn? Our spirit, the, the person that you really are, the true you. When you're at a funeral, and unfortunately, we have we've had to attend those over the years. And I remember even my father when he was when when I was at his funeral, I saw the body in the casket, but I knew that wasn't my dad. That was my dad's shell. Amen, amen. My dad left, and I can clearly see that that is not him. Well, the true you. Uh, when I look at you, I'm not seeing actually you. I'm seeing your shell. You know, when people go into relationships one with another, whether it be a friendship or marital relationships, you know, it may be the physical body that attracts you initially, but after a while, it is the personality. It is the person. It is the person. It is who is inside of the shell that we are attracted to. Isn't that right? Because even as years go on, bodies change. Hallelujah. We have babies and all that stuff and we, okay, and things change. All right, let's go on from there, online community. Let's just go on. But you got what I'm saying to you, right? Things change. And if we have not established uh, that I see you and you see me spiritually, I see the real you, I'm in love with the real you. If that connection is not made, the body's going to change. Hallelujah. Maybe you had like this when you got married, but after a while, you can be looking like this. (laughs) And let's move on. But you got what I'm saying, right? What changes? What is what is renewed? What has become new? It is the person on the inside who we truly are. The person, us, that has been made in the image and likeness of God. That's you spiritually. All right. Hallelujah. Now, again, when we are as we as we journey home, eventually journeying home to be with the Lord, we're going to the Lord's going to give us a new body, a new body, a body like he has. Hallelujah. And uh, we'll get to keep our soul, our memories. That's why when we're there in heaven, I'll, uh, I'll, you and I will remember this time in church. Remember how you laughed and laughed at me? About, remember how you laughed at my jokes? We'll have a good time together in heaven. We'll remember, we'll remember those things. 
And also the Lord says, uh, I believe in uh, Revelation maybe 21 or 19, the Lord says that he will have to wipe away all the tears from our eyes once we get there too. Well, because we'll also remember who's not there. We'll remember them. And so the Lord will have to comfort us as only he can because some that we thought should be there won't. And some that we, how, how in the world did you make it up here? Amen. Father, you are God of mercy. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll have those memories, hallelujah. And we'll rejoice, hallelujah, glory to God. But for the bad stuff, he'll have to comfort us as no counselor could ever do. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we get to keep our memories, our memories. That's our testimony that we'll keep with us throughout eternity. Amen? Amen? Amen. So before Jesus answers Nicodemus' question, like I said before, we're not going to be able to get to it today, but I'm going to show you a couple of things before this. Before the Lord answers Nicodemus' question, he first has to break down the strongholds around Nicodemus' mind, these things that are preventing him for receive, from receiving the answer. He breaks down a stronghold, and I want to show you uh, a velvet wrecking ball. Oh, Jesus is so smooth. I love Jesus. He uses this velvet wrecking ball to boom, to break down these barriers around Nicodemus' mind that prevents him from receiving. And then the Lord drops a bomb on him. Reminds me of that song, you dropped a bomb on me. See, I stopped, but they kept on going. There was a song, you dropped a bomb. The Lord drops a bomb on Nicodemus. I'm telling you, this is a big bomb. And then he eventually answers the question. All right. So we'll be talking about for the time that we have, for the brief time we have, we're going to be talking about um, this velvet wrecking ball that the Lord uses because understanding how the Lord got the gospel to Nicodemus is also going to help you uh, get the gospel to your loved ones too. And then we're going to talk about this huge wrecking ball. I mean, not wrecking ball, but uh, this bomb and how it relates to you and I. So you ready to get it? Amen. All right. Look at verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Master means teacher. He said, aren't you one of those big wig teachers of, of Israel? You one of those highfalutin folk and you don't know what I'm talking about? In other words, hasn't your educational background prepared you for this question? Even your affiliation, Nicodemus, you are a Pharisee. You are a leader among that group, and you don't understand what I'm talking about? So right away, Nicodemus, um, he's caught off guard, wait a minute, because all his training has not answered this question. So here's one, here's one way that you can uh, bring the gospel to someone else. Because they've got to realize that they're not as smart as they think they are. And they don't have all the answers that they think that they have. A glass that is full, you're going to find it hard to putting something else in it. So it must be emptied first. Or at least some has to be poured out so that you can pour in. So right away, Jesus tells him, here's this part, part of this wrecking ball, this velvet wrecking ball. Nicodemus, you don't know as much as you think that you know don't you? He's asking him, aren't you a teacher? Aren't you a great teacher in Israel? And you don't know this? Look at verse number 11. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak what we do know. Now notice before that Nicodemus, uh, 
I think in verse number two, he comes to Jesus and says, we know that uh, you must be from God. We know. He, so he's already isolated himself from Christ. And then Jesus says, hey, we know this as well. Look at this. He says, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. Now, the word we do know, those three words, we do know is the Greek word Ido. Say Ido. And Ido means it means to understand, to know how to be skilled in. All right, let's take that definition to understand. So the Lord said in in simplest form, we understand what we are saying. We speak what we know. In other words, we understand the words that are coming out of our mouths. But you obviously do not understand what you are saying. He says, we uh, speak what we do know and testify to what we have seen. Uh, The word seen in the Greek is... um, Harao. I love saying that one. Harao. Can you say harao? There you go. It sounds something like that. All right. Harao. And harao means, really it means to be acquainted with by experience to experience. So Jesus says, we know what we're saying and we have also experienced what we are saying. And when you know what you are saying, when you understand what you say and you experience what you say, those two make a witness. Not just when you're just talking and you never see what you're talking about. Some of the great some of the greatest deceptions in our time is folk that tell you, I know how to make you rich, but they're driving in a little thing that does not say that they're rich. I can tell you how to do it, but where is it in your life? Where is it? It's like a it's like a beautician that says, I can make your hair look so good. Your man is going to want to go when he sees you. But you look at them and their hair is all. You say, what? How can you make mine? And that don't make a lot of sense to me. Are you hearing? All right. So he says, we speak what we know. We understand what we are saying. And we have seen the manifestation of what we are saying. He said, in essence, y'all just talking, but there's no proof of what you're talking about. So again, there's that velvet wrecking ball, boom, chipping away at that foundation in his mind. Are you hearing me? All right, so let's look at verse number 12 as we move right along. Verse 12 says, he said, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? All right, now he's, first of all, he has given him, and we're just about to close. Hang with me. Are you still with me? Are you with me? All right, all right. You're still here. You haven't gone home yet, right? Because I feel like my afro is about to grow. I'm telling you, son, I'm telling you. Here we go. Let's look at this again. Verse 11 says, verse 12, rather, he said, if I have told you earthly things, and he has been telling him, giving him earthly examples, right? He said, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you, if I tell you of heavenly things? Now he's about to break down. Here's this big old bomb. You dropped the bomb on me, Jesus. (laughs) 
Yes, that's the remix. All right, so here we go. Here's the bomb. All right, he's told him earthly things. Now he's going to break down and give him a heavenly thing. And this is a mind-blowing thing. Look at verse 13, and this is going to require us going to our board in just a moment. Verse 13 says, uh, And no man hath ascended up to heaven. Right away, that's earth shattering because you think about what about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and 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 Job and and all those people. Jesus said, no man has gone to heaven. What? What? He said, no man has gone to heaven. And of course, we see this as Jesus was hanging on the cross. Uh, He told the thief on the cross, uh, today you be with me in paradise. Paradise was that small compartment in hell where the righteous dead did go because no man could go to heaven because the Lamb of God had not yet been slain. The blood of sacrifice had not yet been given. All of these people were good people, but they had sin in their lives. Only the blood of Christ, the Christ, the the Son of God could wash away our sins completely, totally, as if they had never been sinned, as if they had never uh, happened in the first place, then we could be righteous, completely righteous in the sight of God. Amen. Are you hearing me? This testifies to you when the Lord Jesus was giving the disciples the parable of the rich man, um, the, the rich man and Lazarus. Remember Lazarus, the beggar, they both died. They went, in, they went into paradise. Um, and the, the rich man that had lived a, a, a sumptuous life, a bad life, now he was uh, separated by Lazarus by a, by, by a large gulf, by some cavern between where Lazarus was and where the rich man was. The rich man said, uh, send Lazarus over here, dip his finger in water uh, just so I can have a little uh, water on my tongue because I am tormented in the flame. Lazarus had water, but the rich man had nothing. He was tormented in the flame, that compartment of hell. Only after Christ when Jesus rose from the dead, did he lead captivity captive and gave gifts unto men? He led those that were captive out. And now because of him, they could be righteous and be there in heavenly places. Are you with me? Amen. That's a long story, but that, th- those are your cliff notes there. He says, no man had descended up to heaven, but grab a hold of this. Let's go to the board. All right. So for one moment, let's say that uh, this is earth. All right. I don't know what happened to it. Let's try that again. One moment, we're going to say that uh, this is earth. Uh, I know it. <laughs> I know it. And we're going to say that this area here is heaven. All right. Let's just say that. Can we just let's use our imaginations. All right. Just so that we know that's earth and that's that's heaven there. OK. All right. He says no man has gone up. Let's put a little. Mm, yeah. OK. That's man. And nobody has gone up here prior to him. All right. He says, but the son of man, look at that. He says, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Jesus said, I came from here. All right. He said, I came down from him. He said, no man has come up, but he that came down. How do you know that Jesus? Because I just came from there. Nobody's up there yet. He said, no one has ascended up, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is where? In heaven. Are you reading the scripture? He says, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So if this is Jesus here, he said, I'm still here too. 
that's, that's part of that mind-blowing thing. Yeah, read it, read it over, read it, read a few, a few times, read it. He says, no man has gone up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So he's saying in that, breaking the laws of physics somehow, someway, spiritually, I am here to talk with you, Nicodemus, and I am still there to occupy a space here, and I also occupy a space there. So here again, bomb, explosion. What were you talking about, Jesus? You are here and there? Huh. And how does that relate to us? Well, let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter, very quickly. Ephesians 2. Verse 6, because this talks about us. When Jesus rose from the dead, grab a hold of this. It wasn't just him, but also us in him that rose from the dead. It says, and verse, um, now you can read the whole prayer uh, in Ephesians, the second chapter, but I want to bring to you this nugget here. It says, Ephesians 2 6, and hath raised us up together, we're raised up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only are you sitting here, but you're also, if you're born of God, born again, you're also sitting there. You're here and there. Now, there's some part of you, I'm not sure how it's all working, but there's some part of us that is here and there, just like there is, the Lord said, I'm here and there, Nicodemus. Now, why is that important? Because knowing that gives you prayer power. We often think, well, I'm praying, but God seems so far away. Well, if you're born of God, you're actually right there with him then. I know it. I know it. I know it. Let me show you one more scripture as it relates to it. Ephesians 1, verse 20 through 23. It says also getting right into the middle of a conversation here. It says, uh, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So Jesus, if we are seated with Christ, we are also seated at the right hand of God. That's what the Bible says. And it says, uh, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What does all that mean? That means that if we are seated in Christ, we have also authority. We have also authority as I identify with where I am here and where I am there. Now, it could be as simple as this. I occupy two spaces at this moment. My office occupies two spaces. I have one office here and I have one office there in the main building. So I occupy two spaces. I have my stuff in two spaces. And when someone goes to that office, they better knock, knock, knock or ask my permission before you go up in my stuff because that's my space. Right? And so it's, this is my space. Are you hearing? Amen. Occupying two places. Some people, uh, once upon a time, I, I was the president of the associ ministerial association here. I mean, there in town. But I was also the president of another association. So I occupied both spaces. I had authority in both spots. I wasn't physically there at both meetings at one time, but I had the authority of both. So when I was out and about somewhere, because I held those offices, I could say words, I could make changes because I had the authority. 
Are you hearing? So I'm here in earth. We are here in earth. But as we pray, I have the authority because I'm sitting with him to bind and to cast down and to declare, to say what God says about a situation and change will come. Amen. Amen. So that was a lot today. And there's actually a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more. As we believe Jesus's testimony, believe in what he said, believe and be born of God. Believe that he came from God to save you of your sins, to save you from your sins. That he came from God to make you holy, to make you righteous in the sight of God. He came uh, to make you justified. And the word justified means just if you had never sinned. He came to redeem you, to buy you back. He came to set things right between you and God the Father. So when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, when you receive him into your life, everything changes. Now remember, coming to church does not make you a Christian or it does not make you born again, just like you sitting in a car, uh, rather sitting, sitting in a garage does not make you a car. Amen. Right? It just this doesn't happen that way. Just like the man we talked about this, just like the man who uh, he's at home and he's eating a lot of uh, candies and sweets. And uh, but he's at least he's watching people exercise on TV. Is that going to help him? That's not going to help him uh, to lose his weight and get physically fit. There are some things you just have to do. You have to get involved in. You just have to get involved involved in. Amen. Uh, only the people in the super, the only people in the Super Bowl that get that get the ring are those that actually participate in the game. People in the stands, although you cheer, although you shout, although you are a serious fan, you will never get a ring unless you're there on the field and your team wins, of course. Got it? All right, so I don't want us to be misled. I came to church, I studied my Bible, and uh, I tried to be good, so that must mean that I'm right with God. No, only believing in Christ Jesus, receiving him as your Lord and Savior, uh, receiving God's command and doing what he says, this qualifies you. Having faith in him and believing in him and receiving him. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, I hope you've received the word of God today. We are done in Jesus' mighty name. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah, Father, we thank you so much. We thank you. And so, of course, I'll give everyone the opportunity. There's no magical prayer or magical formula to be saved, to be born again. You simply just have to believe. Uh, believe the words again in John 3 16 the Lord said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life right you have to believe in him doesn't say those who do things for him it says who believes in him so you just have to believe so I'll give you a moment here if you want to um, come to the altar and let's pray together. We can definitely do that. Online community, we love you guys. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Remember, if you would like to hear today's message in its entirety or hear the entire series, just go to our website at www.kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast and get it on the go. And if you have a Roku device, make sure you search for Kingdom Rock TV. In there, you will find this program and so much more. 
We would also love to see you in a live service. Just go to our website to get the details at www.kingdomrock.org. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.